0: Orioles fans, how about that win? The Orioles walk it off in the 11th inning with a 4-3 victory over the White Sox to take the series. I'll recap it all. Kyle Stowers' big home run, Santander's big hit, Jordan Lyles eating some innings. Plus, we'll do a little Farm Friday, check out who's playing well in the Orioles system, and get you ready for a big series between the O's and the Astros this weekend. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Friday, August 26th, 2022, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team Every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we're going to recap a wild Orioles walk off victory on Thursday night as they beat the White Sox to take the series. What a moment for Kyle Stowers in the ninth inning. And then what a walk off by the O's. We'll get to all of it with the five things you need to know from that one. Then we'll do a little Farm Friday segment here on the pod. Take a look at the Orioles' four full season affiliates pick out a pitcher and a hitter from each of those teams that's played really well and highlight them for their month of August. And then at the end of the pod, we will preview a huge and tough series for the Orioles coming up this weekend in Houston so they have three games against the best team in the American League, the Houston Astros. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast, which is brought to you by Bet Bet BetOnline has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline, where the game starts. And before we get to it, just did want to thank you for making Locked on Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. We're free and available on all podcast listening platforms. And of course, we're here on the Locked on Orioles YouTube channel as well. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Couldn't do this podcast without you, so thank you again for making Locked on Orioles your first podcast listen of the day, And for your first listen today, let's get right to it. The game you want to hear all about, Orioles 4, White Sox 3, the final in 11 innings at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on Thursday night as the O's take the series, winning the rubber match to get two out of three, have won their third consecutive series after taking two from the White Sox, and they get it with a walk-off win on the Anthony Santander walk-off single in the 11th that gets the Orioles to 65 and 59 on the year once again tying them for a season high six games over 500. In terms of the wild card chase, the Mariners did beat Cleveland on Thursday, so the O's will stay two and a half back of a wild card spot behind Seattle. The Rays won again over the Angels. As I'm recording, looks like the Astros are going to finish off a win against the Twins, so the O's can jump ahead of the Twins a little more. And it's currently, as I record here at about 11 p.m. Eastern time, 5-5 in the eighth inning between the Red Sox and the Blue Jays. Hopefully Boston can pull that one out and the O's can get a little closer to the Blue Jays in the standings as well. But either way, the O's win to keep pace. And I'll get to the five things you need to know from that Orioles victory. And the first thing you need to know from this one is that it was kind of the Anthony Santander game in this one on Thursday. Of course, he had the walk-off, which we'll get to, but he opened the scoring for the Orioles in the bottom of the first inning after the White Sox had gotten a run off of Jordan Lyles actually on the first pitch of the game. Andrew Vaughn hit a solo home run to put the White Sox up 1-0, but the Orioles responded in the bottom of the first inning, Adley Rushman reaches on an error by Jose Abreu, and then Anthony Santander hits an absolute missile that just gets out over the scoreboard in right field for a two run home run. His team high 22nd homer of the year hit that ball 106.8 miles per hour off the bat, a line drive two run shot to give the O's that two to one lead in the game. And he only had the two hits in this one but the other one was even bigger. Bottom of the 11th inning, Santander up there with runners on first and third, nobody out and the game tied at three. He falls behind 0-2 against the tough lefty Jake Diekman. but Diekman hangs, hangs a breaking ball, and Santander crushes it over the head of center fielder Luis Robert for a walk-off single 99 miles per hour off the bat there from Santander to win it. The Orioles' ninth walk-off win of the season, and Anthony Santander... Playing hero once again continues to be, at times this year, really the most productive hitter in the Orioles lineup. And with the win, the Orioles have secured another winning month in August. They are now 14 and 8 in August. They cannot finish worse than 14 and 13, which means they will finish another month with a winning record. That is three consecutive winning months for the Orioles June, July, and August. The last time they had three consecutive winning months was 2016, also the last time the O's appeared in the postseason. Second thing you need to know from this one is that, yeah, Santander played full hero with the walk-off, but nobody had a bigger moment in this game than Kyle Stowers. You set the scene. Bottom of the ninth, Orioles trailing 3-2 to two in this game after the White Sox got a run in the top of the eighth to take the lead. First two batters in the inning go down, and Kyle Stowers steps up against one of the best closers in baseball in Liam Hendricks. And Hendricks gets him on a couple of good pitches and gets ahead 0-2. Liam Hendricks had only allowed one other 0-2 home run in his career. And it came all the way back in 2018. Four years ago was the last time he had allowed a home run on an 0-2 pitch. Well, now he's allowed two of them in his career because Hendricks hangs an 0-2 curveball and Stowers crushes one. 101 miles per hour off the bat, 404 feet out to right center field for a game-tying solo home run. In the ninth to even it at three. Orioles down to their final strike and they tie the game. And just what a moment for Stowers for his first big league homer. I mean, I've never seen anybody race around the bases faster than Stowers did on Thursday night when he hit that homer. But just an incredible moment for him. Is he? You know, he has been struggling a little bit at the dish uh, since the Orioles called him up last week. But man, what a huge swing for him to get his first homer. And he tied the game and allowed the Orioles to be in the spot to walk that thing off in the 11th inning. Just a crazy moment for the pitcher it came against and just another guy to add to this lineup, another one of these baby birds, part of the Orioles' future, Kyle Stowers getting his first big moment in an Oriole uniform. Third thing you need to know from this one is that probably the one negative that can come out of this game is that besides the heroics from Stowers and of course the big walk-off in the 11th inning, the Orioles' offense really did not show up in this game. And if Stowers does not take the ball out of the ballpark on that 0-2 pitch, the O's go down really quietly with scoring the two runs in the first on the Santander homer and then did not score until 0-2, two outs in the ninth with the Stowers homer. And between that, it was tough to watch. You know, the Orioles did not really even earn a runner into scoring position this entire game. They did not have a runner even to second base until the automatic zombie runner was put out there in the bottom of the 10th. That's not good. You know, you got to get guys into scoring position to score runs. They're lucky Santander hit the two-run homer and Stowers hit the solo homer. That was the only way they were going to score runs. They could not get anybody on base. They had, you know, just the three hits in, or they had the four hits, I should say, in the nine innings of this game. Ended up with seven hits, of course, with the two extra innings. But, I mean, you even look at the 10th inning. Felix Bautista, who we'll talk about, put up a zero top 10. The O's get Austin Hayes out there in the bottom of the 10th. Rugnet Odor squares to lay down a sack bunt, actually beats it out at first. So the O's have first and third with nobody out in the bottom of the 10th, just need to get one run to win the game. And Ramona Rios rolls one to third. Josh Harrison makes a nice play to get Hayes out at home. And then Mateo lines out to center and Cedric Mullins grounds one out up the middle to end the inning, and the O's don't score, and, you know, luckily they put up another zero, and they ended up winning the game, but the offense was in a tough spot, and before that Kyle Stowers home run, you know, that he hit to tie the game in the ninth inning, the Orioles' five through nine batters before the Stowers homer were 0 for 15 with six strikeouts. That is not good. Actually, let me rephrase that. They were 0 for 18 With nine strikeouts. 0 for 15 with nine strikeouts in that stretch. It's tough. And the O's get the win, so you can forget all about it. But it was tough to watch the 10th. It was tough to watch the offense in the middle of the game. But you could flip it on on its head and say, listen, this O's team is still finding ways to win games where they can't even get their own runner into scoring position. So maybe they are just that special. Fourth thing you need to know from this one is that Jordan Lyles, man, was he hungry on Thursday night, eating up a lot of innings for the Orioles. Lyle's final line, one of his best starts in recent memory. Seven innings, he allows just two runs, only one earned on nine hits. Strikes out two, does not walk anyone. And of course, as I mentioned, the only earned run he gave up was on the first pitch of the game. Andrew Vaughn, an opposite field homer, to put Chicago up one nothing. But it took Lyle's only 95 pitches to get through seven innings. Drops his ERA to 4.45 on the season. And he allowed eight hard hit balls in the game. And he scattered nine hits and was able to get out of some jams. And you know, he could have ended up being the winning pitcher maybe in this game. I mean, you know, if if Taron Vavra doesn't make a throwing error on a attempt at turning a double play in the 7th, the White Sox maybe don't even score that tying run in the top of the 7th inning. But Lyles was able to kind of fight through that, get the next double play, get out of the 7th with the game tied, and yeah, Dylan Tate did give up a run in the 8th, but for Lyles, he just he threw strikes. He attacked hitters. He knew who to go after more so than others in the White Sox lineup. He mixed his pitches like crazy. I mean, StatCast had him throwing six different pitches. They had him incorporating a cutter. They said he threw three cutters, which he hasn't really thrown all of this year. And he only got eight whiffs on 53 swings. And again, two strikeouts in seven innings certainly isn't dominant, but no walks is the big number there. And he threw mostly sliders, mixed in the four-seamer, the sinker, the curveball. He just mixed it up all day. And it was enough to keep the White Sox off balance. A, a good lineup in Chicago. And Lyle's just you know being the, the the dad of the staff, as they call him, and just eating innings for the boys once again. And the fifth and final thing you need to know from this when we stick on the pitching side is that, man, Felix Bautista is one of the best closers in baseball right now. I mean, what a story to take 10 years to get to the big leagues finally. And what he has done has been nothing short of spectacular. And this series against the White Sox, what he's done in these two games, there's not many other relievers in baseball that have done something like that in one series. Of course, you start with what he did on Tuesday night, comes in with the O's up by two, first and third, one out in the eighth, and secures the win, gets his first ever five-out save. And then what does he do two nights later? Well, he gets six outs because after the O's tied the game in the ninth, Bautista enters in the top of the 10th with, of course, the zombie runner at second. And he just mows the White Sox down. Two pop-ups and then a strikeout of Gavin Sheets, who had killed the Orioles to end the 10th. O's can't score. Bautista goes back out there in the 11th because he barely threw any pitches in the 10th and Bautista just goes right back to work. He made Luis Robert look incredibly silly on a one-handed swing, struck him out with a couple 101 fastballs, and then is able to get the next two outs and a pop-up and a ground-out, and Bautista ends up throwing two scoreless with two Ks, and it only took him 18 pitches to get through those two innings. If the O's wouldn't have scored in the bottom of the 11th, Felix may have gone back out in the 12th just because of how well he was pitching at that point and how little pitches he had thrown, but... He's just incredible with that stuff. That splitter is ridiculous. The fastball 101-102. It is just so fun to watch Felix come into the game and mow down hitters. And he was the reason why the Orioles still had a chance to win that game in the bottom of the 11th, and that they did. On the Anthony Santander walk-off single, Orioles win it 4-3, to and they take the series from the White Sox. And there's all this good stuff, all these good feelings happening from this win for the Orioles. And then you look down at the minor league system, and A lot of good feelings as well. You got a lot of call ups, all the draft picks are in Del Marva. You got guys like Jordan Westberg and Gunnar Henderson just killing it in AAA. The Bowie Bay Sox can't stop hitting with guys like Colton Kowser, who had four hits on Thursday night. I'm going to talk about Colton Kowser in a second. That doesn't even include his four hit night on Thursday. The stats you're going to hear the O's are dominating right now at the minor league level. So, coming up next, a Farm Friday segment to talk about a pitcher and a hitter and maybe a little more at each of the Orioles' four full season levels and highlight some great months of August that those guys are having. But first, got to tell you about betonline.net. The fastest and easiest way to check in on all your betting needs. Now, you can find all your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds lines and games. You can find reviews and news of every league, including of course Major League Baseball, but You know, we're very close to the NFL season. Heck, college football starts tomorrow with week zero. And you can get all the lines and odds at betonline.net. Then you got NBA and NHL season coming soon. And every weekend, there's combat sports, there's eSports, and there's a golf tournament as well. And BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports wagering info. They've got live in-game betting. They've got scores. They've got podcasts. Simply, they have you covered. So head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening today at BetOnline where the game starts. So as the Orioles continue to have their ups and their downs, but are certainly impressing people this season at the major league level, a lot of impressions are being made at the minor league level as well. I wanted to bring back a Farm Friday segment here to close out the week because there's been a lot of players down on the farm in a system that has once again ranked the top farm system in all of baseball for the Orioles, and a lot of guys who are playing some really good baseball. So as we've done a few times throughout this 2022 season, we to take a look at the four full-season affiliates for the Orioles, the A Norfolk Tides, A Bowie Bay Sox, High A Aberdeen Ironbirds, and the Low A Delmarva Shorebirds, and highlight one hitter and one pitcher, and sometimes a little more, for each team, specifically in this month of August. As August kind of winding down here on the 26th, to take a look at who has shined on those teams this month in what is the final really full month of minor league baseball for each of those squads so let's get right into it farm friday episode with the august stats for these players and start in triple-a with the norfolk tides and wanted to specifically highlight one pitcher that I think we're definitely going to see come September back in Baltimore. And that is D.L. Hall, who, after coming up a couple weeks ago to make his first Major League start in Tampa, was sent back down to AAA as the Orioles wanted him to work exclusively out of the bullpen, get used to kind of warming up and pitching as a reliever at the AAA level. Well, since getting sent back down, Hall has made two relief appearances for the Tides. And in those two appearances... It's gone fairly well. Four innings, a hit, a run, eight Ks, and three walks. But specifically, his last appearance, which came on Wednesday, that was when the stuff looked really, really good. He went two scoreless innings on Wednesday. No runs, no hits, four strikeouts, and no walks. Two batters did reach via error in those two innings, but he got out of it, didn't allow a run. The fastball was playing up even more out of the bullpen. The breaking stuff looked good. And listen... The Orioles said D.L. Hall is going to be back in the big leagues as a reliever in September. I think it's pretty clear he's probably going to be added as one of the two extra roster call-ups on September 1st when the rosters expand to 28 and the Orioles can add an extra pitcher. I'm assuming that pitcher is going to be D.L. Hall. He's going to pitch out of the pen, go in one or two inning stints from the left side, and an Orioles bullpen that's starting to falter a little bit is going to need some reinforcements. D.L. Hall could certainly be that guy. And the hitter in AAA, I'm going to go with Jordan Westberg, who in 72 at-bats with the Norfolk Tides this month, hitting .264 with a .411 on base and a .542 slugging percentage. His 953 OPS in August leads all qualified Tides hitters. And he's got five home runs in the month, including back-to-back games on Tuesday and Wednesday to start this week. And obviously all the talk right now is about Gunnar Henderson being called up from AAA to the big leagues. I don't think really there's any chance we see Jordan Westberg in the big leagues this year, but Jordan Westberg is going to come into spring training next year in big league camp fighting for a major league roster spot, and we are certainly going to see him in the bigs next year, unless, of course, maybe he's traded for some high-end pitching this offseason. Certainly a possibility as well. Let's take it down to the AA Bowie Base Sox, starting with the hitters, and I couldn't just pick one because the Bay Sox offense has been ridiculous so far in the month of August. And I got to highlight their top four hitters who have just been killing it. Joey Ortiz, 993 OPS and six home runs in August. He has been ridiculous since the start of July. Connor Norby, 971 OPS with the power continuing to show after getting the call up from Aberdeen. Hudson Haskin, a 930 OPS. Of course, Haskin was a second-round pick back in 2020. Really starting to show off on the offensive side. And then Colton Kowser, of course, the Orioles' first-round pick in 2021. Has an 894 OPS this month at A. Those four guys at the top of the lineup just dominating. Bowie has now added Kobe Mayo to that lineup as well. I mean, they got a lot of the Orioles' top-hitting prospects in Bowie right now, basically all the O's top prospects, seemingly except for you know the recent draft picks from this year, are in A or above. It's really fun to watch that lineup work right now. Of all those guys, I don't really see any of them moving up to AAA by the end of the year. I think Kowser, Ortiz, Norby, and Haskin probably all end the year in A. But, I mean, there's a good chance all four start the year in A Norfolk next year, and then you never know about them potentially getting to the big leagues. In 2023, and on the pitching side for Bowie, I'm going to go with Brennan Hannafee, who basically missed all of last season after getting Tommy John surgery. was still recovering, basically missed the entire first half of this season, but finally returned, pitched some in the FCL, went on a rehab assignment, and now is back in Double A Bowie. And in his four starts in Bowie this month. He's been really good since returning. You know, the velocity is up a little bit. The stuff looks a little crisper since coming back. And in four starts, he's got a 2.95 ERA. In 18 and a third innings. he's allowed just 14 hits while striking out 13 and walking seven and a 209 batting average against Hanafi at the AA level. He's a guy who if the Orioles you know, see fit, maybe they'll get him to AAA. I mean, he is going to be Rule 5 eligible this offseason. I don't see the Orioles adding Hanafi. To the 40-man roster, but because he's coming off the Tommy John, I don't really see another team taking him in the Rule 5 draft, so I think he'll probably be back with the O's next year, be in AAA, and if he keeps pitching well, could maybe be a major league option in 2023. Let's head down to High A Aberdeen. They dominated in the first half. They already know they're in the playoffs, and in the second half right now, It's kind of been the Billy Cook show. Let's start on the offensive side. A 10th round selection by the Orioles in 2021. The outfielder Billy Cook, who has had a little bit of struggles early in the year, but he has been dominant in August. 66 ABs, hitting 303 in the month of August with a 973 OPS. He's got five homers. He's driven in 20 runs. And he's a perfect 5-for-5 stealing bases this month in Aberdeen as well. He's got a whole lot of power from the right side. And he's got that power-speed combo that is really important in today's game. And Cook is definitely a guy right now who maybe they send him up to double-A Bowie at the end of the year. If not, he's certainly probably starting the year in Bowie next year. And we'll see if that power can continue to move him up the ranks. And then for the pitcher in Aberdeen, I'm going to go with Daniel Lloyd, the right-hander who the Orioles selected in the 14th round of the 2021 draft out of South Carolina. Lloyd's been great this month for the Aberdeen Ironbirds in five appearances, He has pitched 15 innings and has a 3.00 ERA, just seven hits allowed with 21 strikeouts to three walks in those 15 innings, opponents hitting just 132 against Lloyd in the month of August. Has some pretty good stuff. We learned more about him on a draft profile episode last year, but kind of a a sneaky lower pick out of college that uh, is making some headlines here in the month of August. And then we go down to the low A Delmarva Shorebirds, who have seen their roster just get flipped on its head recently with most of the 2021 draft picks moving up to Delmarva with the FCL season over. So a lot of new faces uh, down there for the Shorebirds in Salisbury. But the hitter I want to point out is one of those guys, the Orioles 67th overall pick in the draft this year. That is the outfielder Jub Fabian, who in 31 at-bats, since being called up to Delmarva, Judd Fabian has an unbelievable 1357 OPS. He's got seven doubles. He's got two home runs, including one on Wednesday. The dude is just mashing the baseball. And after the Orioles weren't able to take him in the 2021 draft, they got him in 2022. And he has certainly worked out big power, great defense, and showing that he's a great all-around hitter. But I couldn't just highlight Fabian because the other high draft pick, the outfielder who came up to Delmarva right alongside him was the Orioles pick in Dylan Beavers and for Beavers who was actually selected higher in the draft by the O's out of Cal he's having almost as much success in 28 at-bats with the Delmarva Shorebirds Beavers with an 11-12 OPS and a 393 batting average since joining Delmarva those two guys are just dominating at the top of that Shorebirds lineup right now and I mean they probably end the year with Delmarva just because there's not much time in the minor league season But there's a part of me that thinks, you know, Aberdeen's going to be playing longer than Delmarva because Aberdeen will be in the postseason after winning the first half. Don't be surprised if the Orioles add maybe Fabian and Beavers to that Ironbirds lineup right at the end of the year to kind of help them in the playoff push. And then the pitcher for Delmarva got to go with Yaki Rivera. He is a 19-year-old right-handed pitcher, and he was actually acquired by the Orioles in the trade right before opening day that sent Tanner Scott and Cole Sulcer over to the Marlins. Now, technically, Judd Fabian was acquired in that deal because the draft pick that they acquired in that trade they got Fabian with. Well, Rivera was one of the pitchers who they got. And in four appearances in August, he's been absolutely dynamite for Delmarva. In 13 innings, he's allowed just two runs on four hits in that stretch with 16 strikeouts to just four walks and an 93 batting average allowed by Rivera in the month of August. A guy who will certainly just finish out the year with Delmarva. He'll come into next year 20 years old, ready to go to Aberdeen and ready to start putting up some stats as a very young but successful pitcher in the Orioles system. But that's how it's going in the system. A lot of winning in Bowie right now, continued winning in Aberdeen And a whole lot of big league ready talent, it feels like, in Norfolk. And then in Delmarva, you've got all the young guys from the draft making them really exciting at the end of this year. Just like what happened at the end of last year when all the 2021 draft picks came up at the end of the year. Fun time in the system and, of course, a fun time at the big league level as well for the Orioles. But they've got to get down to business this weekend because they've got maybe the toughest series of the year coming up. This weekend. You can argue that they're taking on the best team in baseball, and if not, certainly the best team in the American League, as the Orioles travel to Houston to reunite with Trey Mancini for a three game series against the Houston Astros. And coming up next, I'll preview that three game set over the weekend to get you ready for the O's next three games. So the Orioles this weekend, they head to Houston for their first of seven games against the Astros remaining on their schedule. That's what makes their end-of-the-season schedule so tough. They've got three in Houston this weekend. Then in late September, about a month from now, the Astros come to Baltimore for a four-game series. Now, that's when Trey Mancini will make his return to Baltimore – certainly be in the stands for multiple of those games, but the O's will meet up with Trey this weekend for a three-game set Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, an Astros team that going into play on Thursday was 80-45 on the season, a gigantic lead in the AL West. They've got the best record in the American League, and... It's been pretty easy for them. I mean, obviously the Mariners are having a, a good season, but other than that, the AOS has been terrible. The Astros have beaten up on them, and as they usually do, they're beating up on the Mariners too. And they're just rolling to most likely the number one seed in the American League. And this is going to be a tough, tough test for the Orioles. This Astros team, fifth in WRC+, in all of baseball. They have the second lowest strikeout percentage for their batters. They do not strike out much. And on the pitching side, they're second in ERA in all of Major League Baseball. They're first by a large margin in starter ERA, and they're second in bullpen ERA. They're just a well-put-together team. They have been for really, you know, close to a decade at this point. You know, five, six, seven years, they've been this good. This is obviously the kind of team that the Orioles are looking to build, and we're going to get a good front row. Seat to see how the Astros have continued to add to this team. They've gotten younger but continued to get better even since, of course, winning the World Series in 17 and then losing in the World Series in 2019 and last year as well. They just, you know, they lose some of their veterans. They lose Carlos Correa. They replace him with Jeremy Peña. The team continues to get better. And their pitching staff is ridiculous. Now, the Astros are actually going with a six-man rotation right now. So the O's have named their three starters for this weekend as i record this here on thursday afternoon the astros have actually yet to name their three starters but if they stick with their six-man rotation and we go off what that rotation is it looks like the friday matchup will be kyle bradish for the orioles and the right-hander lance mccullers jr would go for the astros now for bradish that's a it's an 8 10 p.m eastern time start in houston Braddish, you know, he hasn't been great. He's been kind of a tough watch at times. The command's a little off, but he has had five consecutive starts now where he's allowed three earned runs or less. On the flip side, he has not completed six innings in any of those starts. So if you can get five and a third, three runs from Braddish against the Astros, you probably take it. You'd like him to go a little deeper in the game. But that at least gives you a chance to win against one of the best offenses in baseball. And on the flip side for Lance McCullers Jr., coming back from a serious injury, this will be just his third start back from the injury. Just returned to the Astros rotation earlier this month. That's actually why they went to the six-man rotation. Instead of you know taking somebody out of the fold, they just traded Jake Odorizzi at the deadline and then inserted McCullers as a sixth guy when he returned from injury. And his two starts back so far, 11 innings, 9 hits, 3 runs, 11 strikeouts, 7 walks, and 3 home runs allowed. He has definitely looked a little bit rusty, so the Orioles hope uh, that he hasn't completely turned it on uh, when they face him tonight. Then the Saturday game, we know it will be Dean Kramer going for the Orioles. It's a 7.10 p.m. Eastern time start. Dean Kramer has been great in the month of August. Four starts. He's got a 2.59 ERA this month in 24 and a third innings. He's allowed just 22 hits. Struck out 18 while walking just four. Allowed just one home run this month and a 253 batting average against Kramer in August. And if the Astros stay on rotation, he will match up against the right-hander Christian Javier, who was pitching out of the bullpen in kind of a fireman swingman role for a while this year. But the Astros did insert him. Into the rotation a couple of months ago, and he's just been absolutely outstanding. And just like Dean Kramer, he's had a great month of August. In Javier's four starts in August, all have been quality starts. He's got a 1.50 ERA this month. In 24 innings, he's allowed just 13 hits while striking out 25 and walking just five. The only way you can get to him is he has allowed three home runs in his four August starts. So you're hoping you can get a couple of bloop singles and then a blast and take a lead. But Opponents hitting just 153 against Christian Javier in his four starts this month. He has been dynamite. And then in the Sunday game, it's a 2.10 p.m. Eastern time start. We know it will be Austin Voth who will continue his kind of miracle run with the Orioles right here. Voth, since joining Baltimore on a waiver claim from the Nationals in 53 and two-thirds innings, he has a 2.85 ERA as an Orioles pitcher. And again, if the Astros stay on turn, it looks like the right-hander Jose Urquidy will be the Houston starter on Sunday. Urquidy, you know, he doesn't have the most dominant stuff in the world. He's not generally going to strike out 8, 9, 10, 11 guys every time he goes out there. But he's a very efficient pitcher, and he will work deep into a ballgame every time he pitches. Urquidy has gone at least six innings in eleven of his last twelve starts for the Astros. That includes a handful of those that went eight innings as well. So Urquidy certainly will work deep into a game, and he'll try and you know prey on the Orioles, try and get them, get them to get themselves out in the first you know one or two pitches of an at bat. The O's will need to try to work him a little bit, see if they can get him out of there earlier. But the flip side is you know the Astros have the second best bullpen ERA in all of baseball. Now I will say. The one little hiccup for the Astros is their bullpen recently has been a little dicey. Ryan Presley, their kind of shutdown closer, has not been himself over the past few weeks. And the guys they've put in that role, especially this week, they had a series against the Minnesota Twins, which they've been dominating the Twins in that series, but they've given up multiple runs in the ninth inning in two of the games against Minnesota this week because they've had some guys like, Brian Abreu come in and Hector Neris in the ninth inning and have had some trouble. So that is one way. And we know how good the Orioles have been late in games with their rallies and their comebacks. So That's maybe a way the O's could get to Houston this weekend. I got to say, looking at this series, obviously it would be huge if the O's could somehow go in and take two out of three from Houston. If you remember last year, maybe the height of the 2021 season was that the Orioles went in and swept the Astros In a three-game series in Houston. Still can't understand how that happened last year. Two out of three would be great. I honestly look at this series. This is the toughest series left on the schedule. For the Orioles, it's the best team they play for the rest of the year. I honestly might just be happy if the O's can get one out of these three games this weekend. If you can get one game against this tough team and kind of come back, get your off day Monday, and then sort of regroup going into the rest of your schedule... I would honestly take that if I'm the Orioles. Two would be outstanding. Not even going to consider a sweep, but just get one game this weekend and kind of keep your head above water in this AL wildcard race. And then after the weekend, I'll be back with you here on Monday recapping this three-game series, getting you my three big takeaways from this O's and Astros series down in Houston as the O's reunite with our old friend, Trey Mancini but again that's coming up on Monday's episode until then I'm Connor Newcomb and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast part of the Locked On Podcast Network your team every day